Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Seltzer Kings Podcast Network, in cooperation with Fast Eddie's Podcast Hut, present Spooktacular 2020, a celebration of the macabre and the infantile. The horror. The Stop sulking, you big baby. It's a fucking pandemic. It's not like we were going anyplace anywhere. Ass. Hello and welcome, patrons, to the exclusive podcast that asks a simple question. When you gave your money to us for this, what the hell were you thinking? I'm asking honestly. I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is my spooky special for Spooktacular 2020, The Late Arrival. Stay tuned. You may have noticed that I am a a bit of a skeptic. I mean, more than a bit of one. I I tend to discount about 99.92% of all paranormal stories because they lack what I like to call evidence. Now, I can kind of excuse this pre-2007, but, you know, we've had 13 fucking years with smartphones, and in that time, I still haven't seen one single video of any paranormal claim that's remotely plausible. There's still the same grainy, blurry, underexposed pieces of shit we've been seeing since the Patterson-Gimlin film featured a dude in a monkey suit walking across a clearing in a shaky, out-of-focus, underexposed Super 8. Our fucking phones can record Bethany and Brittany doing shooters in a dark bar with D and clarity, but they just can't seem to focus on a UFO. Must be some kind of alien cloaking tech. But lately, I've had some doubts. The Navy's tic-tac videos of the gun camera footage of a craft doing shit that frankly requires some out-of-this-world technology, literally out-of-this-world technology, leads me to believe that we might just have alien technology or that our government has some really advanced shit that allows us to control gravity, which if they do, pod friends, that changes everything. If they can do that, let's just say our future is a lot brighter than what we think it is. And the government having this kind of technology is far from out of the question. We've already done some frankly amazing things. The SR-71 Blackbird spy plane was so far ahead of its time, we're only just now designing aircraft that could rival its performance. And they designed that thing with slide rules. So, that's entirely possible. The reason I tell you this is because I, too have witnessed aircraft with spectacular abilities that do not exist officially in our military inventory. I've seen them with my own eyes. It was late January or maybe early February 1993, Beale Air Force Base, Northern California. Beale is an auspicious choice for what I witnessed as it was a primary base for the aforementioned SR-71 and is still the home of the high-flying U-2 spy plane and these days also the home of the Global Hawk Recon Drone, but this would be years after what I witnessed. It was late, as well after midnight, and I was assigned a patrol sector that included the base flight line. 
Now, I'm parked up on an old concrete pad that once housed a radar site. Park, it's a small hill, looking down over the flight line, about half a mile from the Christmas tree. The Christmas tree was an old alert aircraft parking area from when there were B-52 bombers at the base on nuclear alert. And it had been deactivated for decades and was rarely used by aircraft, so mostly it just sat empty. Now, I wasn't not supposed to be where I was, but I also had no reason to be there either. What I was doing was fucking off. I had a big-ass mug of coffee that had filled up at the base hotel, the only place open at that, hour, at that hour, and my dog and I were just sitting along the perimeter of the base, wasting our time listening to Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Uh, maybe we will dig out that report, and I'll try to get it on the air for you. You really need to hear it. Uh, she sent me what she considers to be a little joke earlier today, which says, From the rapidly deteriorating environment to the crumbling cement walls around the phenomena, I am reminded of a quote from the writer George Leonard. Your resistance to change is likely to reach its peak when significant change is imminent. <laughs> I listened to a lot of Art Bell back then because art was what was on overnight when I worked. I love Coast to Coast. This was before the internet, and that is where crazy people were instead of on Facebook convincing my parents that Tom Hanks is drinking the blood of children so he can stay young. That night, we had a thick Thule fog. If you've never lived in California, particularly in the North Central Valley of California, you will not know what a Thule fog is like, but imagine the kind of fog you associate with Victorian London. Thick clammy, unmoving, and possibly filled with serial killers. Visibility in a good Thule can drop down to zero in a flash, and the only thing that you can do is pull your car over and wait until maybe it gets better. That night wasn't a zero night, but I could only see the smudges of the main aircraft apron lights about three-quarters of a mile away, and when fog gets like this, nothing moves on Beale. Even if it weren't the middle of the night, flight operations would be severely limited in this weather. So needless to say, I wasn't expecting what happened next. The lights in the Christmas tree area turned on. This was strange. I mean, not spooky strange, but unusual strange. Now, I was a law enforcement patrol, meaning that I was, you know, like a traditional cop that responded to public calls and shit like that. But the security patrols responsible for protecting the aircraft and that sort of thing were separate from my job, operating on a different radio frequency. So... I flipped one of my radios over to the security freak to see what was happening because it was their area of responsibility. But there was nothing about it. In fact, when someone came up on the net from another security area far away from the flight line, they were harshly ordered to stay off the net unless there was an actual emergency. That's when the runway lights came on. I couldn't see all the runway lights because of the fog, but I could see the taxiway lights leading into the Christmas tree turn on, which implied someone base ops had turned them on. And now I was curious. What I could have done was come up on the security net and ask what the fuck was going on. What I should have done was start my truck and drive off and mind my own fucking business. What I did do was get out of my truck, grab my dog, and start walking down the hill to the Christmas tree. Now, me and the Bob Dog... His name was Robbie, but I called him the Bob Dog, began walking down the old road that led down from the pad to the tree. It wasn't a secret road, 
but it wasn't one that many people knew about because it wasn't used anymore and long been abandoned and left the breakup on its own because letting it rot was cheaper than tearing it up. And it was how I got up to the pad in the first place. We ambled down the road, not hiding because the fog and no one could see us. And also, who the fuck would we be hiding from? And I honestly thought it was some kind of security training exercise. We got down close enough to the pad to see what was going on, which was nothing. I waited a few minutes before I got cold and bored and decided I would go back to my truck, turn on the radio, drink my coffee, and listen to Art Bell. And that's when I heard the vehicles. From out of the fog and onto the taxiway and into the Christmas tree, sounds a little like a Christmas carol there, came about half a dozen SUV-sized vehicles, a fuel tanker truck, and a ground support truck, like the kind used by the aircraft maintenance squadrons. They pulled into the area, and I finally got a decent look at the SUVs. They were not Air Force Blue, but black. Lincoln Navigator black. I don't even know if there were Lincoln Navigators in 1993. This, I thought, was really fucking strange because I'd never seen these vehicles on base before, and I would have. They pulled into the tree and onto the pad, and people started establishing a security perimeter around the Christmas tree. Maybe a dozen. I couldn't make out exactly how many in all the bustle, but they were carrying weapons and not wearing the standard battle dress uniform camo pattern that I was wearing. I couldn't clearly make out what color it was in the fog and the strange light, but it wasn't what I was wearing and what everyone else in the Air Force at that time was wearing. The people driving the support vehicles were dressed in the same kind of uniform. And unless they had dogs of their own, which they didn't, there's no way that they could see me in the dark and fog. So me and the Bob dog was starting to get a little anxious because it was his job to get anxious when strange shit happens. We just settled down on the road, making it harder to see us. This was some cool shit, and I wanted to see what was going down. And that is when I heard I had six years in the Air Force at this time. Ten years prior to that, as an Air Force brat living on military bases, I had heard a lot of airplanes in my time, from fighters to bombers to big-ass transports, but what I heard that night did not sound like any plane I have heard before or since. It was quiet. I mean, in the fog at night, it was loud, but compared to the roar of jet engines, it was quiet. It sounded like a quiet hiss. Kind of like when you turn the overhead nozzle on the passenger jet seats to get some airflow. That kind of is, but with more bass. When it came into the Christmas tree, it didn't have running lights, the strobes you see on the wingtips of planes to let you see them in the dark. As it taxied into the center of the parking apron, it became visible in the overhead lights of the Christmas trees and pod friends. This fucking thing was something to behold. It was black. I mean, the kind of black that just kind of eats light, that sharp black that screams, you can't see me. The U-2s and the SR-71s and the stealth fighters were black, but this was much blacker than that. If the overheads weren't on, I wouldn't have been able to see it at all from the hundred yards or so away I was sitting. And it was shaped like a dagger, like a, like a knife with two edges, wide at the back and tapering towards the front with an upside-down V-shaped tail where, you know how, if you've ever seen one of these, the, the, the tail has a V-shape and it's narrow at the bottom where it attaches to the body of the plane and it gets wider at the top? This wasn't like that. This was wide at the bottom and then the tips of the fins leaned in very close to each other. There were no visible engines 
it was kind of like the Stealth Fighter like that. I mean, I couldn't make out if there were intakes, but I assumed there must have been some kind, and there were no nacelles at the back of the plane. And I'd seen the Stealth Fighter many times, and this wasn't like that. It was much longer, much, much longer than the F-117 Stealth. It was closer to the size of an F-SAR-71, but not quite as big. And it had no visible angles on it. It was like it was carved out of styrofoam instead of built out of slabs of metal. And there was no cockpit bubble, no obvious place for pilots to enter the plane, no canopy or windows for them to look forth through. And this was before drones were a common thing. So either it didn't have pilots or they were using like some kind of video screens to fly. The tanker truck pulled up and fueled up the plane. And after it was done, the plane started back up, taxied back out to the taxiway, out of the Christmas tree, hit its afterburners, and took off before it got to the main runway in about a thousand yards and disappeared into the fog with just some blue flames coming out of its far too quiet engines. The people in the mystery vehicles quickly got back into them and drove out of the Christmas tree area. The overhead lights on the Christmas tree turned off and the runway lights went out. And me and the Bob Dog are just sitting there fucking dumb fucked in this clammy fog at night wondering what the hell just happened. And after a while, I got up and went back to my truck, turned on the heater and thought about what, I was, what I'd just seen. I wasn't stupid. I realized this was some super secret squirrel shit that I wasn't supposed to see. So I waited about another half an hour before I started up the truck and started creeping back down the road towards the main base to get the fuck out of there. And before I could make it up the taxiway to the road, another security police Bronco flashed their overheads at me and blinked their high beams. So I slowed down as it pulled up next to me. And inside were my shift lieutenant and my squadron commander. I rolled down my window as they pulled up, and my LT was pissed, and my squadron commander was fucking apoplectic. What the fuck are you doing out here, Senior Aaron Bledsoe, my LT asked, and I politely replied, Patrolling, sir! The major leaned over him and hissed, Out of the truck now! I complied, stepped out, saluted, and he grabbed me by my arm and dragged me to the back of the truck. What? Did you see, Senior Emmer Bledsoe? It was 3 a.m.-ish on a weekend. My commander was out without anyone saying anything about him being out, which they would have, and loitering in the area for some weird, really weird shit had just happened. So I thought it was probably a good idea when I'd tell him the truth. Told him I was on the pad goofing off and the lights came on. I laid out the entire thing while he listened. He then ordered me to empty my pockets and take out everything in my post bag and show it to him. This had never fucking happened before, ever. I mean, yeah, he had the authority to do it, but it was super strange. He went through every fucking thing I had on me and in my bag, examining each one in turn, looking for, I don't know, a camera of recording equipment. I don't know what the fuck he's looking for, but he literally went through every one of them. He opened up my flashlight and took the batteries out of it. And when he was done, he turned back to me and he said, you were not here. You did not see anything. So you cannot speak of anything that happened because you were not here and did not see anything. Am I crystal clear? Senior Airman Bledsoe. I said, yes, sir. And he told me to get the fuck out of there and go do my job. 
And that was the end of a very strange night. Again, I'm not stupid. There are times when you can buck the systems and get away with it, and I tried that a lot, but this wasn't one of those times, and I didn't talk about what I'd seen that night until the day I got out of the Air Force. That very day, while drinking beers with some of my buddies, I was like, I gotta tell you this story, but they were still in the military, and they got very quiet as I was telling me, and then they said, maybe not a great idea to mention it. But yeah, theoretically, that kind of thing might have happened, but obviously... They had not seen anything, and neither did I. So I didn't talk about it. Just let it go. Always remembered it. And it didn't dawn on me until years later why this plane landed at bumfuck Beale Air Force Base in the middle of the night, in the fog, under conditions that no plane should ever be flying in. It was jet fuel. JP-7 the fuel that was used in the SR-71. Beale was one of maybe four bases in the world that would have stocks of JP-7 still, used exclusively by super-high-altitude, super-high-performance aircraft. Beale, Kadena in Okinawa, Mildenhall in the UK, probably Edwards in Southern California, and maybe Tonopah and Groom Lake in what area people now call Area 51. The airplane needed gas, and Beale had some. So what the fuck was this thing, you're asking? I have no idea. I know what it wasn't, which is anything in our inventory then or now. What I do know is it was a plane with quiet engines that needed supersonic high-altitude fuel, and it had short-field takeoff and presumably landing capabilities that could operate in near-zero visibility night conditions with no apparent crew to fly the fucking plane. If I had to guess, it was an Aurora. What? Is an Aurora? Well, it's nothing. The Aurora doesn't exist. It never has existed. It's completely a myth. Ask anyone, they'll tell you. According to Wikipedia quote, the Aurora was a rumored mid-1980s American reconnaissance aircraft. There's no substantial evidence that it was ever built or flown and has been termed a myth. The Aurora legend started in March 1990 when Aviation Week and Space Technology magazine broke the news that the term Aurora had been inadvertently included in a 1985 U.S. budget as an allocation of $455 million for a black aircraft production in physical year 1987. According to Aviation Week, Project Aurora referred to a group of exotic aircraft and not to one particular airframe. Funding of the project allegedly reached $2.3 billion in fiscal year 1987, according to a 1986 procurement document obtained by Aviation Week. In 1994, the book Skunk Works by Ben Rich, the former head of Lockheed Skunk Works Division, wrote that the Aurora was the budgetary code for the name of the stealth bomber flyoff that resulted in the B-2 spirit, unquote. Of course he would say that. <laughs> but I will say this. Google the term Aurora aircraft. And the photos and drawings that you see, one of which I have included in the show pick for this special spooky special, look an awfully lot like the thing I saw with my own two eyes one foggy night at Beale Air Force Base, California in 1993. And like we said in episode 133, I shit you not. 
<laughs> that is it for this spooky special by me for Spooktacular 2020. Thank you. Sincerely, thank you for donating to our Patreon. We could not do this without you. Well, actually, we, 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 we did, and we kind of still do, but it wouldn't be nearly as much fun. So tell people it's about us so they can listen and maybe decide to donate, too. And if you are owed some swag and we know who you are and you know who you are, it is coming. Our donations are now adding up to enough that we can do an order without our out-of-pocket expenses, which normally we would totally do, but Gavin really needed to review his work visa. visa. Fucking Gavin. So... I hope you enjoyed this little bit of true... Is it, though? ...tales of my own UFO sighting, which wasn't a UFO, but definitely was unidentified. Rindlesham Part 1 drops tomorrow, and we will wrap up Part 2 and Spooktacular 2020 next week. Stay spooky. stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website whatthehellpodcast.com or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast or on Facebook as whatthehellpodcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.